0: This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Lord, what a great word um, that is as we prepare to come to your table later in this service. And so we pray that you would use Romans 8.1 right now to prepare us for the table, that you would draw our minds, our hearts, all of our affections to, to Jesus, <clears throat> that we would see the centrality of the gospel, and that as we come to the table later on in this service, we, we will do so uh, just... Um, uh, basking in the in the joy of the fact that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and we pray it in His name, Amen. We we'll open your Bibles this morning to Romans eight one. If you are new today, we are walking through the book of Romans, and we have come to what is sometimes called the Great Eight. The eighth chapter of Romans is just one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. And so we are going to kind of introduce things today uh, with verse 1 of of Romans 8, which really just kind of, uh, of sets the tone for what is to follow. No condemnation. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, if you would find that in your copy of God's Word. And I'll ask you to stand in honor of the author of God's Word as we look at this incredible verse of scripture this morning which says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus praise the Lord give me seated Sinclair Ferguson uh, tells about uh, a couple of pastors from Eastern Europe that came to visit America and this was soon after the fall of the Iron Curtain, so these guys had grown up under Soviet-style communism, and their American host, one Saturday afternoon, took them to this sort of massive American supermarket, and when these two pastors from Eastern Europe walked in and saw just, just row after row of all of these, these groceries, their reaction was to burst into tears. And one of them said to their American host, they said, is this owned by the American government? (laughs) It was inconceivable to them that the average citizen could have access to, to what they were looking at. I think sometimes when we read the 8th chapter of Romans, we can be like that. We, we read these incredible promises, and we see these incredible riches of the gospel. And our reaction is almost like, can, can, can this truly be accessible to every believer? And the answer is yes. The problem is that oftentimes, you know, we're not taking advantage of the access that we have back in 2006, uh, I had a, a trustee meeting uh, one uh, week in, in Tampa, and this was uh, this is in, in March. It's uh, during spring training. The, the Yankees, uh, who I have some affection for um, as my baseball team, happened to train in Tampa, and uh, our hotel was literally right down the street from Steinbrenner Field where the, the Yankees have their spring training games, and so our meetings were starting early on Tuesday morning. I'd, I'd flown in on, on Monday afternoon. I knew there was a game that night, I was already beating myself up because, uh, you know, I hadn't planned enough ahead to, to, to get a ticket for the game, but I said, hey, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll run by the, you know, the gift shop and uh, and just kind of see what's up. Maybe I can, can get a ticket. So I, I go into the gift shop, and, uh, and there's a group of people in there, and they, they, they're talking to the, the guy at the counter, and they ask him about tickets to that night's game, and the guy j- just looks at them like they're crazy. And he says, you know, this is the Red Sox game. We've been sold out for for weeks uh, for this game. And so then I'm really chastising myself. (laughs) I'm like, dude, you know, (laughs) you should have thought about this. You should have planned ahead. Uh, So anyway, uh, that group leaves and I I go up and I, I strike up a conversation. Uh, with this guy, and, um, and so, you know, we're talking about baseball, talking to Yankees. Uh, he, he can tell I'm, I'm more than kind of a, a casual uh, Yankees fan, and, uh, and, and then I, I, I popped a question, and I said, hey, look, I heard what you told those folks earlier, but, uh, you know, I'm here for meetings, and, uh, and so they start tomorrow. I've, I've got the evening free, and, and it's just me, you know. Uh, d- d- do you think there could be, like, maybe a single ticket uh, in the stadium somewhere? And he says, well, as a matter of fact, and so uh, he, 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 you know, he hands me this this ticket. I, I have no clue where it is in the stadium and don't care. I mean, to me, it's a blessing just to be able to go. And so uh, I didn't even look at my ticket. Well, I get to the stadium that night. Uh, and uh, for the first time, I glance down at the ticket and I, I see, well, wow, you know, this looks like... It's probably on the lower level. And, and, and then I look at it even closer and it becomes apparent uh, that the seat was between like third base and home plate. And I'm like, anywhere in this section is like a great seat. you know. And then I get to the... Uh, the, the aisle uh, to, to the, that the seat's going to be on. So I start walking down this aisle, and I just get lower and lower and lower and closer, and closer and closer and closer to the field, and then I see that my seat is like on the second row behind the dugout. Well, at this point, I'm like doing double takes at the ticket, you know, just, is, is this really real? You know, is an usher going to come and haul me out of here in, in a second? And, and so it was real. And uh, I was so close to the field, you know, I could like hear the players chattering back and forth uh, to one another, and it was incredible. But listen, imagine if I had not asked the person at the store about the seat. Imagine if I had, uh, had spent the evening hundreds of yards away from where this game was going on, just kind of uh, chilling out in a, a, a bland hotel room. You know, I think too many of God's people live in the land of bland when spiritual riches could be theirs. The riches that we read about in the 8th chapter of Romans. We need to access them. And so that's what we're going to be doing as we walk through this chapter together. Just just kind of mining the treasures that are here that are already ours in Christ. So today we begin with verse 1. Romans 8 begins with no condemnation in verse 1, and it ends with no separation in verse 39. And between are amazing treasures of the gospel. Today, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And what we're going to do this morning... With this one verse of scripture, we're going to kind of, kind of be like, like, uh, like honeybees, and we're going to try to, try to just, just get every bit of nectar that we can from this incredible verse one. So, what do we see here? First of all, we see that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in. Christ Jesus. So as we've talked about before, when you see the word therefore, you need to look and see what it's there for. Because the author is signaling that what he's about to say is in light of what he's previously said. So what is Paul talking about when he says there's therefore? Now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, in its immediate context... He's probably referring back to a verse that we looked at last week in in verses 24 and 25 of chapter 7 where he cries out, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. But in a larger context, Paul is probably referring here to everything that he's been talking about in this Letter. So let's kind of re- review a little bit. So, what do we see beginning in, in chapter 1 and verse 18 and moving all the way through chapter 3 and verse 20? We saw that the entire human race, all of us, are, are locked up under sin, deserving of condemnation, helpless to save ourselves. And then, beginning in chapter 3 and verse 21, what happens? But God. God breaks in. He comes to the rescue. God comes to us. Jesus comes to redeem us. And so we see there in chapter 3 and verses 23 and 24, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, yes, we are all sinners. We have all spurned the glory of God to worship and pursue idols and we are deserving of condemnation. But instead of giving us what we deserve, God has given his son for us. And Jesus has come to, to make sinners like us right with a holy God. He has come to redeem us, purchase us by his shed blood, which we'll remember as we come to the table later on in this service. So there is therefore now no condemnation who are, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Second... There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So yes, no condemnation means that there is not going to be condemnation for us in the future. It means that we're not going to be facing a future of of, of hell. But it means so much more than that for a believer. He says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, it's, it's not just that we're not going to be facing hell in the future, but there is, there is presently, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It's, it's now. It's a blessing for, not just for the future, but for right now, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, I think many of God's people live their lives with sort of a low-grade sense of guilt and shame. And something, some sin that they've committed in their past or whatever, uh, just kind of steals their joy in the present. So they're always kind of doing life with sort of this low-grade guilt or shame, you know, that God is kind of looking down on them, that they are sort of less than um, as, a, as a child of, of, of God. Um, and listen, that is not the way that God's people are intended to live R.C. Sproul tells about a, a time when he, he had preached one night and a lady came up to him after he, after he, he preached and, and she said, you know, I, I've, I've got this sin in my past and I've asked God 10 times to forgive me, but I still can't forgive myself. And R.C. said, well, I want, you to, I want you to pray one more time, but this time I want you to pray and I want you to ask God to forgive you for your arrogance. Said, my arrogance, what, what do you mean? He said, you know, who are you to question The word of God that he has forgiven you. And who are you to withhold forgiveness from the one whom God has forgiven? New Testament scholar Robert Mounts uh, says this. Mounts says to, to insist on feeling guilty is but another way of insisting on helping God with our salvation. Let me tell you, he doesn't need any help. And Jesus did not die. He did not shed his blood so that we would walk around with a sense of of, of guilt and shame. Listen, when we do that, we're kind of making light of what Jesus has done for us. He shed his blood so that we would not have to live in, 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 in guilt and shame. So there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Third... There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. Not a bit. You know, this is why doctrines like purgatory are so unbiblical. You know, the idea that somehow, you know, we would go to this holding place where we would would somehow uh, atone for sin before being allowed into heaven. Let me tell you something. We don't make atonement for sin. Jesus atoned for our sin. Jesus was the atonement for our sin. And the Bible doesn't say that he paid some of it, or that he paid most of it, or that he paid a lot of it. Jesus paid it all. The great church reformer, Martin Luther, once had a dream in which Satan came to him in this dream. And, and, uh, and Satan, had a, Satan had a record of all of Luther's wrongs. And so the devil in this dream just unfolded scroll after scroll after scroll of all of Luther's uh, sins, the whole record of his life, and, and, and it was written in Luther's own hand. And so the devil said to Luther, he said, is, is, is this true? Is this the record of your life written in your own hand? And Luther had to admit that it was. And just when the devil got ready to leave Luther, called out to him and he said, oh devil, one more thing. He said, you can write across it all. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Fourth, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the word here in Greek is judicial It's a legal word. Um, It is talking about one's legal standing before a holy God. Now, as we've seen in Romans thus far, uh, the holiness of God is a problem for us as sinners. I mean, we saw going back to chapter 1 and verse 18 that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of, of people who by their unrighteousness Suppress the truth, Ephesians two three. Paul says that we are by nature objects of wrath, and God's wrath is not like human wrath. You know, God's God's not uh, throwing any temper tantrums. God's not out of control. God's wrath is a an expression of His righteousness, of His holiness. It's an expression of the the radical dichotomy between a holy God and sinners like us. Who's going to bridge that gap? How do sinners like us become before a holy God who is perfectly pure and who hates sin and who cannot be in the presence of sin? How? How can that happen? It's only because God is also loving and merciful. In fact, he is so loving and merciful that he became one of us. And he took our sin. He took the condemnation that we deserve so that we don't have to be condemned. Listen, if you are here today and you are in Christ, you will never experience the wrath of God. You are not under condemnation. You will never experience condemnation. because there is one who took condemnation in your place. Jesus. We remember that today as we come to the the table. By the way... The flip side of no condemnation is justification, which we've also been talking about a lot in Romans. Another legal word, another judicial word, justification. It means not guilty, but righteous. In Christ, there is a declaration that has been rendered over our lives, not guilty, but righteous. You say, how can that be? I am guilty. I'm a sinner. That declaration of justification can be made because there was one who took your condemnation. Jesus took it. He took it on himself. He took our condemnation so that we can be credited with a righteous standing before God based not on our own righteousness but on the perfect righteousness of our Savior. But listen, justification and no condemnation, these, these blessings of the gospel, you know, they're not just sort of a stay out of hell card. It's not just that we are kept from hell. It's that we are ushered into the king's chambers. And we are adopted as beloved sons and daughters of the king. And we'll talk much more about that as we walk through Romans eight together. Therefore, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, fifth. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see the, the incredible blessings of Romans 8.1. They're not for everybody. They're for those who are in Christ Jesus. They're for those who are in Christ. Jesus says in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so these blessings are for those who are in Christ. Are you in Christ today? We've been talking about the incredible blessings of, of union with Christ and what that means, we, we, are, we are in him, we are united to him. It's what that, that beautiful expression, one of Paul's favorite expressions, that, that believers are, are in Christ. It means we, we, we are united to Christ, which is just so beautifully pictured in our baptism, right? Buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection, to walk in newness of life. One of my favorite baptisms as a pastor was of a lady named Burl Fiddler. Uh, many years ago, uh, Burl was probably 70 years old when I, I baptized her. She had loved the Lord Jesus for many, many years, served him faithfully. Uh, but she and her husband were coming from a church that practiced infant baptism And in Burl had become convinced through her study of the scriptures that, uh, that, that the ordinances that Jesus ordained uh, were the Lord's Supper and, and believers' baptism by immersion. And so it was the desire of her heart. Uh, she wanted to be a part of our church. She wanted to be uh, baptized as a believer. You know, even though she had loved Jesus and followed Jesus for many years, she, she became convinced that biblically uh, that baptism is, is for believers uh, and, and that it should that it 's by immersion, and so she was looking forward to her baptism and so i 'll never forget the day that I baptized uh, Burl this this radiant, godly woman uh, stands there, and just as I get ready to uh, to plunge her beneath the water, which just symbolizes the fact you know that our that our, our sins and our old lives have just been plunged into the depths of God's uh, forgiveness. Just as I get ready uh, to lower her beneath the water, uh, she looks at me and she quotes Colossians 3.3 3, and applies it to herself. And she says, for I have died and my life is now hidden with Christ in God. We are in Christ. Ml Loney says this, he was for us in the place of condemnation. We are in him where all condemnation has spent its force. Praise the Lord. Six. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who were in Christ Jesus. You know, when I'm I'm talking to people about spiritual things, when I'm engaged in sort of a a spiritual conversation with someone, and I kind of ask them kind of where they stand with God, and they start talking about themselves, (laughs) they start talking about their accomplishments. They start talking about you know, all the bad stuff they've avoided you know, and all the good stuff they've done. It's all about them. I know I'm not talking to a Christian. I know I'm not talking to a believer. When I'm talking to a, a genuine believer and I ask them about their standing with God, you know who they start talking about? They start talking about the one who stood in their place. The one whose body was broken, whose blood was shed for them. It's all about Jesus. Jesus. He experienced condemnation, so that for us, there is no condemnation. Let's pray. Father, as we prepare to come to the table, we thank you for the work of Christ for us. We thank you for the incredible promise that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, we ask you to prepare our hearts uh, right now. Uh, this is an ordinance that you gave us to to bring us back again and again to the centrality of the gospel. Lord, we desire for the gospel to be central in our lives, that, that we would be going deeper and deeper into that well of the gospel, and that that gospel would flow freely from our lips. And so we, we pray now, as we prepare to take the bread and the cup, that you would just remind us afresh and anew of the love of Jesus. Lord, we examine our own hearts right now. And as we just do that, as we just bow before the Lord, listen, this is a time the Bible says, let us examine our, ourselves before we take the bread and the cup. Listen, first of all, are you a believer? <laughs> are you in Christ? This ordinance is for believers. It's for those who have decided to follow Jesus those who are in Christ Jesus, it has no meaning apart from that. Do you know Christ? If not, turn to him. (laughs) Turn to him right now. Turn to him in repentance and faith. Turn to the one whose body was broken and whose blood was shed for you. Turn to the risen king. Welcome him into your life as Savior and Lord. Are you here today with, with, with sin that you're cherishing in your heart? Is there something that is hindering your fellowship with the Lord? Is there somebody that you need to, to go to and, and seek uh, forgiveness from, seek reconciliation with? Is there unconfessed sin in your life that needs to be dealt with? No, we don't want anything to, to hinder our fellowship with him. And so this is a time for us just to examine our own hearts. And so, Lord, we know that none of us is worthy to come to the table. It's not about that. Only, only Jesus uh, could make atonement. And so, Lord, we, we rest in him. We look to him. We look to the cross. Lord, we thank you that we, we do this together as a church family. We thank you that in Christ, that you have torn down every wall of division, walls of race, walls of gender, walls of just socio-economic differences. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. As we celebrate this table together and rejoice in the sacrifice that you have made for us all. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.